Welcome to Beyond the Illusion. In this episode, we have a conversation with Blue Marsden. Blue is the author of a book called Soul Plan, Reconnect with Your True Life Purpose. The concept of a soul plan is kind of the reason I wanted to do a podcast like this, because it's completely unique and new to me. A soul plan was created with the intention to help people understand themselves better, understand their life's purpose, and connect with that deepest, truest part of themselves. I think the reason that this topic resonates with me so much is because it was discovered by reaching into the unknown to pull out information. Information that is encoded in everything, in ourselves, in our surroundings, in our lives, and even in the sound vibrations that make up our own names. And I'll let you hear the details of that in our conversation now with Blue Marsden, Tiana Roser, and myself, Tim Howe. about the soul plan reading I joke that it found me because I wasn't looking for it and then I was on Amazon and you know how it recommends books and so your book blue was recommended and I was like oh and the cover is very I don't know drew me in and the name drew me in and I got the book and I read it and I still didn't quite understand it but I felt called to it <laughs> and I just <laughs> went to the what your website and I signed up for the training without quite knowing what it was, but knowing I felt called to it. And then when I got there, um, I was lucky that you were doing the training, which I guess you don't often do, or at least at that point, you weren't often doing it um, in the UK, more in Japan. Yeah. And and then it all made sense during the training. And I, and I really love the system. And probably a lot of our listeners are not so familiar with the soul plan. So maybe you could give us a kind of summary of what it's about. Yeah, sure. Oh, uh, that's a big one. But let's see if I can come up with something in a nutshell. So Soul Plan is a system that looks at your overall vibration and how you're showing up in the world, how you're manifesting in the world. And the way that we work that out comes from the vibration of the letters in your name. So there's a numerology element to it, but it's a little bit deeper in the sense that this is a really living system. And it gives us some really key information, which allows us to really capture and get a snapshot of how a particular soul is experiencing separation in this reality. So it's at a deeper level, it's based on the premise, which kind of fits well with the title of your show, that there is an illusion, but the absolute illusion is that there is any individual. So at the deepest level, there's an understanding, and it's inherent within the system, that what we experience as our separate identity is actually illusory. However, as a separate human being, we are perceiving all these experiences in this reality and we have this identity. And part of the way that we have this identity imbued on us 
when we're very young is through naming. So we're all given a name. Um, some people talk in esoteric terms that the name is telepath from the mother um, to the mother from the incarnating child. And one way or another, that that name, that name vibration, and in this system, we look at the whole vibration of the name, like as in the first name, middle name, surname, whatever is given, usually put on the birth certificate. That's creating a vibration that's put out into this reality. And it's a little bit like the film, The Matrix. It's like you're taking a pill, and this is the pill which beams back certain kind of experiences to you. And then essentially what we're doing with the soul plan is we're beginning to map out that vibration and those set of frequencies which are bringing particular experiences to you. So when we're able to chart someone's soul plan, it will give us information on what they're experiencing in the worldly aspect of life. That's the first 35 years or so of life, how they're adapting to the world, what challenges they've had in the early part of their life, what talents or abilities they've got to help overcome their challenges, what comes easier to them, and what goals they have in the initial part of life. So that's the first element. And then there's another element to this, which is the spiritual aspect. And that usually kicks in. You know, it's different for different people, but let's say around the age of 35, if it's going to kick in, a lot of people are stuck in the worldly aspect, of course. But if it's going to kick in, it's it's often around that sort of age, and there's maybe a healing crisis, or um, there's some sense of you know lack of interest in some of the things that used to interest them, um, a sense maybe of having achieved things in some cases, and finding that that's not really doing it for you anymore. And then that deeper search goes on and begins to kick in. Initially, it's more like a, it's more like your inner world, but then it begins to have a little bit more of a tangible effect. And that can become the greatest aspect for, for people because it's often much more service orientated in terms of sharing knowledge, teaching, helping others, and being a guide to others. And then there's an overall, what we call soul destiny, which is the combination of all the different patterns in your soul plan, which show who you are at the deepest level. And if you were to fully align with your soul plan, what you would be embodying. And there's different types of soul destinies that people can have. You know, some are about sharing creativity in the world. Some are about sharing abundance in the world. Some are about being a wise, loving counselor. Some are about connecting to your power, being a mediator, power and protection. There's many different embodiments of the full soul plan, but they do, in order for you to totally step into this, they do require you to work through the different aspects of your plan. When you're fully aligned with your soul plan, then there is a sense of stepping out of the illusion of a separate identity. And that can happen either way around. Sometimes people, for one reason or other, do step out and they get a glimpse or they get a full realization. 
of um, their essential non-being. And in that case, they tend to become more fully themselves and then they're fitting in with their soul plan. Or it can happen the other way around, that people are sort of like working through things and then finally step into it. It's not something that you can completely get a prescription for and you know decide I'm going to do this step by step because, of course, life takes over and um, there's a, a sense of randomness to life. But if we were to sort of like put it in a nutshell, that's how we might describe it. Yeah, I received a soul plan reading from Tiana and uh, it, it was very accurate for me. There were things in there, you know, I've had a lot of readings actually of different, you know, modalities. There were things in there in this one that were unique that weren't in others, but were also true for me. But, you know, I saw an interview with you online yesterday and it was pretty old. It was like 2012, I think. It's on YouTube. And mm. it's really interesting. You know, you have a, a really interesting path to uh, your own spirituality. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about that, you know, that journey you had? I think you mentioned in that video that it started at a really young age. Like, I think you even said 14. So I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. Okay. So... Well, when I was a teenager, when I was about 14, I started to practice yoga. I was looking for something. I was looking for a way out. I, did, I had a very traumatic childhood and um, a lot of difficult, uncomfortable feelings. And in some ways, I was very detached. So there was, on the one hand, there was uh, like a real sensitivity and a lot of trauma, but there was also an, a detachment. And I was kind of oscillating between the two things. But there was a sense on a physical level that something wasn't quite right. And that attracted me to, well, it's fortunate yoga book kind of found its way to me. So I started practicing from that book to start with. And that led to an interest in Indian philosophy, Indian spirituality. By the time I was about 15, I was going out, hanging out with the Hare Krishnas in in um, central London, in, in Soho in London. Uh, I never actually joined them, but I used to go and have my free vegetarian meal and then go and sit and meditate in their, in their temple there and meet some interesting characters. I became interested in Advaita Vedanta, non-duality. But at the same time, on the physical level, through the actual practices that I was doing, a spontaneous kind of healing process took place. And I was one day lying down in the corpse posture, which you do at the end of a yoga session. My body started moving, adjusting itself spontaneously. And I found from there, I started sort of like tapping certain acupuncture points, which later I found were sort of like implicated in imbalances that, that I had when I looked into Chinese medicine. I'd go into meditation postures, um, Sanskrit. I'd start speaking Sanskrit, and there was a lot happening on this kind of, should we say, a weird, phenomenal level. Uh, but at the same time, sort of simultaneously, I was started um, doing a degree in philosophy, and there was an opportunity to do a free counselling course as a result of this, and I joined that. It was mainly sort of older people. But I got to do that because I always knew that I had an ability in that kind of area. And, you know, to some extent, there was, I found myself in situations even when I was 
a child where I might be talking to people. I knew there's something I could do there. So from there, I then went on to do a master's degree in psychoanalysis. And I'd also been training all along in um, hypnotherapy. And I came over to the States, actually. I lived in New York for, for a year, and I really got into some of the, I suppose you'd call it the new age stuff that was there at the time. Probably not as much as there are in, in California, whatever, but because um, New York is quite a cynical bunch. But somehow or other, I, I met the ones who were kind of interested in this kind of thing. And then I, you know, I came back and I was practicing as a therapist and I was doing a lot of healing work by that time. I could see that there needed to be like a little bit of a marrying between the counseling and the traditional stuff, traditional psychotherapy and the healing uh, modalities. Because there were at that time, there were people beginning to, Reiki was just beginning to come out over there in a sort of slightly bigger way. There were people who were, you know, working as healers, but they're running into kind of boundary issues and other sorts of problems, which, you know, sometimes the counseling and psychotherapy has got a better grasp on that side of things. But then sometimes the counseling psychotherapy can be very analytical up in your head, not so heart-based. So eventually, after I'd been practicing for about 10 years, I started a open day college where we teach a what we call a spiritual counseling diploma which is, it is a counselling qualification, but it also incorporates all the latest holistic therapies or the ones we think are really useful. I've been doing that now for the last 20 years. As part of that, sort of like going back to near the beginning of that time was when I came across the, what I now call the soul plan. I'd been working with a few different systems. I got interested in the Enneagram before that. And I was interested in Chinese astrology, but I came across the, first of all, I came across a sound healer, actually, who introduced me to some chants from, and some postures from a, a man called Frank Alper, who was American and had channeled some symbols and a system for creating a kind of map of people's life. Um, which he was calling Moses numerology or numerology of Moses at the time. It really grabbed me and I could see the essential aspect of that. And because I'd been interested in Jewish mysticism, which was another thing, actually, I lived in a part of, of London where uh, it was a big, big Jewish community. And I'd always been interested in the mystical side. And I got interested in Kabbalah and things like that. I could see that there was a mystical Hebrew element to this work as well, because they were it was working with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Originally, before I contacted Frank, who was st still alive in the early days of me doing this, I met a guy called Nicholas who'd trained with him in America. He did a course in America and he'd taped it. And I got those tapes and I was working with it. And I was really wanting to, I started to introduce it in a kind of minor way on my courses, but never felt completely happy with it because it had a slightly biblical element to it, which was feeling very male. I just knew somehow that I was going to bring something new to this. I contacted Frank and wanted, you know, loads of questions and, and things. And then he, he died in 2007. 
it was around that time I thought I got to write a book about this, and I kind of started. It took me took me a while, and you know, it's one of those things you go off and on. But once I started to write the book, channels opened, and lots more information came in, and I was able to bring in a more non what I call a non dual and more male female aspect to the work, um, which was really important for me to sort of like feel that I could really work and go ahead with it. And that was an interesting experience. That involved a little bit of negotiation on higher levels. But I had Katharina Alper, Frank's wife, you know, who was very supportive to me in sort of moving forward with this. And she was a really interesting lady. She'd been a great support to Frank. And she'd, when she was younger, she'd been an assistant of the Maharishi. And she'd been, you know, there when the Beach Boys, the Beatles were there in the early days and transcendental meditation was being brought over. And then she hooked up with Frank and she, you know, she, she basically was his life partner assistant and used to come with him on the courses. And she really felt that, you know, he had some knowledge that was a little bit before its time. I felt that my role was kind of to partly to bring this into a more modern version. Uh, Cause interestingly enough, I have pretty much the same soul plan as Frank in the, spiritual part, the sort of second beyond 35 part of life. Now, Soul Plan is a system which is used by counsellors, coaches, therapists, and it's like a really big part of what, what I do. I was, I was also a Qigong practitioner. I got into that very young. That also, when I had the spontaneous movements, that actually took me to Qigong. So I was really into that, and I, and I thought right now what I'd be doing is being a Qigong teacher, um, which I do teach Qigong and train people in it. But actually, you know, my part of my destiny, if you like, has been to bring this work out into the world. You know, that's what I'm still still doing. There's been some great developments of it come through. We've got soul transformation therapy now, which is a therapy system which has emerged out of this, where we use the symbols and the Hebrew letters to diagnose what's blocking a person in their life. And then there's a seven different types of healing interventions that we can use to help clear those blockages. So that system, the soul plan tells you what's going on in your life. And then the soul transformation therapy helps you to move through blockages to aligning with your soul plan. And that's something you, you study as well, isn't it, Tiana? Yes, I still I still need to uh, practice it some more. I plan to start offering it, you know, soon. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy about your system or I don't know if it's your system, but the system <laughs> how yeah, how complete it is. Without even the soul transformation therapy part, the soul plan reading, a lot of times readings tell you about yourself, but they don't give you the path how, you know, like, oh, here's your here's some things you struggle with, but they don't tell you how to move out of it. But just even the soul plan reading itself, it gives you all of that structure, that plan, that path through your challenges. I am curious, what is your soul destiny number? Can you tell us a little bit about your plan? Yeah, I, I can do. But just firstly, just to clarify that it is not my, my system. Frank Alper brought through these symbols and he brought through the method for us calculating the soul destiny. But there's also another element to it, actually, which is something that, that I discovered, which is that the information and the assignment 
of the different qualities and characteristics that we find in this system actually come from an ancient book called the Seva Yitzra. So Frank hadn't actually mentioned the Seva Yitzra, but because I was interested in the Jewish mysticism, that was something that I eventually stumbled upon, sort of come across some of it before, actually. And it's an ancient book which has a big influence on Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, but also interestingly on Western magic, on the Western magic tradition and tarot. So you could say that, you know, that's where it's come from. Frank's brought in the symbols and the method for calculating it. And then I brought uh, kind of modernizing to it. And also I've channeled some new interpretations and some new soul messages, which have an effect of just sort of helping people to, so like a non-dual pointing, helping people to sort of wake up to who they really are at a deeper level. So that's, you know, those are some of the new elements in it. But in terms of sort of my own soul plan, you asked me what my soul destiny is, and my soul destiny, it's number seven, if you in terms of numerical assignment. But what it's about is, if you were to look at the symbol, it's like a, it's a, called the link in the chain. And there's a link in the middle, and then there's two other links attached to them. And it's symbolizing someone who brings together groups of like-minded people. So if I was to fully embody it, a full embodiment of this type of soul destiny would be to be attracting like-minds, like-minded souls, like-minded people who become unified with each other and become unified and integrated within themselves. That's the soul destiny uh, with the soul plan. And in terms of my early life, the early aspect of my soul plan, I had purely spiritual energies in the um, first 30 odd years of my life, which was, that was a sort of slightly difficult situation because it meant in a, in a way it was, you know, normally people sort of like get really involved in the world and then they begin to think about spiritual stuff. But for me, it's almost been the other way around. It's like I had that spiritual thing going on, which had its pluses because sometimes, you know, despite all the kind of trauma that I experienced, you know, I could be in a difficult situation and I could completely see through it and even see the funny side of it. That certainly happened a few times to me, you know, when I, when I was young, maybe having a, like a panic attack one minute and then be able to see that that's a kind of illusion in a sense, and then come, like coming out of it straight away through, through laughter. But the, the energy, the vibration, well, you'll know it, it's the 10-1 that I had in both the worldly talents and the worldly goals. And when you've got this particular worldly talent, it means you don't have a talent in the world. You don't have a particular ability in the normal sense. Anything that you do um, has to be about um, being directly of service to people in order for you to be nourished. So once I kind of worked that out, or once that began to happen, I started finding myself in situations where I could um, help people initially through counseling, hypnotherapy, and the healing that I did, then I got a lot more nourishment. Uh, things got a lot better for me. Even on a physical level, things improved. And then the worldly goal, the same thing. There's no goal in the world. So in a way, I was very purposeless when I was younger. So it's interesting that I wrote a book 
you know, which has the title soul plan, reconnect with your true life purpose. But often <laughs> that's how it goes with people. Uh, so I had no real purpose. I didn't see a, a particular purpose, which meant that there was no real direction for me. And I did all sorts of, you know, things on that journey to becoming more of a therapist. I mean, you know, when I was a student, for example, I was working as a minicab driver in the evening and I had a whole bunch of in- jobs always looking for, you know, maybe something to do, but there was never a kind of passion about it until, you know, it gradually unfolded. And then in the spiritual aspect, it's been more earthy energies actually for me in the spiritual aspects. So now I've got, I've got a kind of spiritual talent where I can relate to different kinds of people and change my energy to be with different pe- types of people in order to get uh, a message across and share spiritual energy in society. And I've got a, a spiritual goal, which gives me like a kind of power to do that and a belief in order to, to do that. So those are the sort of things that I've, I've been working through, but, you know, it'll be different for different people. Some people may have something similar to that. Other people, it can be much more about really being quite stuck in earthly matters at first and really getting caught up in all that sort of thing and experiencing all of that until you realize the futility of that. And then you begin to look for a higher purpose. Yeah, I I don't recall if you mentioned this earlier or if I heard it in one of your talks online, but you talked about how there are people have certain challenges in their in their soul plan, right? Like they're working on, I guess, in this lifetime, and how the goal is to turn those challenges into your strengths, and then you find some kind of, um, I guess, peace with yourself at that point. Or can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so people people in their soul plans, we see what their challenges are. And, you know, just to give you an example, a snapshot of the few types of challenges that people will have, and some of your listeners may relate to some of these. So one type of challenge you can have is that you've got the energies of creativity and thought in the challenge position, which means that you're having lots of ideas, there's lots of things that interest you, but you're flitting from one thing to another. So you get interested and very excited about something, start moving towards that, but then something over here, another over the other side becomes interesting. So then you start moving towards that. Then you lose enthusiasm for that, and then something else comes up. And that can be very, very stressful. And we see that in um, you know the creative world, but we also see that in business as well. Lots of people getting lots of ex- exciting ideas, start businesses, but never getting things off the ground. So that's all about making things real, making things happen. So that'd be one type of challenge. Another type of challenge could be having the energies of expression in the challenge position where you're very, very stuck in terms of expression. You'll often be very shy as a child. You'll be hiding, hiding yourself, hiding yourself energetically. So even though you may be an interesting or powerful person, when you go into a room, it's almost like you're energetically visible, invisible. People don't see you. That's another type of challenge. Another one would be you've got the earth vibration in the challenge position. That's usually the challenge of a very sensitive soul who didn't want to be here, that um, is finding it very, very difficult to, to be on this planet, which can be a mild thing or it could, could be quite a serious issue. 
So the you know those are just a few of the challenges. There's 22 of them that people can have, you know, as indicated in their soul plan. But then you've got the talents, things that come more easily to you. So example of a talent would might might be that you have a very logical mind and you can really understand systems very well. So that would be someone like Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, will have a, a talent like that. Another talent people might have would be that they're very much in their power and they've got a deep belief in themselves. They feel that they really know they're protected and they can be really good at mediating situations that they can really hold a space for others. Other people have like a counseling vibration where they can be very resilient for other people. They could use it maybe as being a tough lawyer, something like that, or a ambulance driver, you call it an ambulance driver over there where they're going to different scenes where people have been hurt and they've got the resilience to deal with that or a bereavement counselor. They could, you know, they could be doing counseling, but in a very kind of, in a way where they need to be very strong to help others. So by using these talents, it helps you overcome the challenges. So one of the prescriptions we always give to people with a soul plan reading is what can you do to really use your talents because if you start using your talents then that's going to help you overcome those challenges so by using let's say a talent for example you've got a talent which is all about connecting with people and bringing people together but you've got the challenge that i mentioned you don't want to be here you know you don't want to engage in life if you start using your talent which is all about being open people that naturally like you and you start connecting with people, that's naturally going to bring you out of the part of you that wants to escape the earth. So you can see how, how it works. And then that's using those talents also bring you to your goals as well. So Steve Jobs, let's say he had a goal, which was about you know being creative and making things happen. If he's not really using his talents, then he could have his ideas going all over the place. But if he starts using his talents, which is about being logical, um, putting systems together, then he'll make it happen. He'll make it happen in the world. Yeah, so this system really allows people to kind of step into their full potential, right? So they might have been aware of some of those energies, but not known how to harness them in a, in a certain way. And just even to see and understand kind of what's happening might help them to achieve what they came in to achieve. I found it interesting, you know, I've only been working with this for about a year, that a number of people, when there's an, en you know, I call this like an energy or a theme or essence or, or whatnot in their talent, but they might still be experiencing the it sort of in a challenge way. Whereas initially, I was only kind of telling them about if it was in the talents position, I would tell them only about the positive aspects of that energy. But as we talked further, I would see that, oh, actually, it's really it's this energy is a spectrum of, yeah. you know, the same way that something that's a challenge you could work through and move it into a strength. Something could be a talent, but it might not be fully accessed yet and still kind of uh, challenging them. Yeah. All of the energies in the soul plan can be challenging or you could say karmic to some extent. It's just that some come easier than others. Some, some of those energies come easier than others. But you can still experience it, some of the challenge aspects. good example would be Michael Jackson. If we take the singer Michael Jackson, he has as a talent, he's got, he has the ability to 
work with groups of people. He has the ability to be very magnetic, attract people to him. And the flip side of that, if it, that was a challenge, that would be the hermit energies, which are quite the opposite. But, you know, what we know from his life is that, you know, sometimes when things weren't going so well for Michael, he could get stuck in those challenges. So even though he was very magnetic and really, you know, using that talent some of the time, other times he was isolating himself and experienced some of the challenge aspects. It's just that he's he's got a little bit more, it's a little bit easier for him to access the uh, positive qualities of that energy than other people who would have it in a challenge or a goal position. And going back to what Tim was asking about, it works the other way around too. So if you've got something as a challenge, um, it can actually become your greatest strength. So, you know, if you've got the energies of expression, for example, where you're kind of shy and hiding, but it's that expression energy and it's there in your challenge. So it's difficult for you. If you begin to overcome it, it can become your greatest strength. So an example of that might be someone like Elvis Presley, you know, kind of shy when they're young, but they get into singing through the gospel community or however it happened. I can't remember what the story was for him. And when he starts to use that talent a little bit, opening up with the singing, gradually it really explodes for him. And then he's, you know, amazingly in the talent. It can, it can work that way too. Yeah, I was kind of wondering that aspect of it. You mentioned earlier you studied this concept of non-duality. I'm just wondering if you could maybe elaborate a little bit on that concept. And I'm also wondering, is it something that someone has an experience of or is it just more of an idea? Could you explain that? Yeah, well, it's something that we all have experiences of in some way or other, but it's when you do have an experience of it, it's not something that you can put in in words. If I describe it this way, that we experience ourselves as separate individuals. Um, we have this identity that's formed when we're young. Initially, we, there is no sense of a separate individual when you're really young, but gradually it begins to build up. And, you know, in some traditions, spiritual traditions, you say it's the ego developing. That's what, that's one way of looking at it. But actually, this is something that it's just a mirage in some sense. It's just an illusion in some sense. And really, if we really question who we really are, you know, the non-dual tradition, you know, people like Ramana Maharshi, for example, which most people might have heard of, he would, you know, have the question, neti neti, or you'd be questioning, who am I? And when you begin to ask that question, who am I? Okay, first of all, people might think I'm this body, you know, I'm, you know, male or whatever. Uh, but when you go into that, actually, that's not really who you are. So what am I? Am I these thoughts, the thoughts I'm having? No, that's not who you are either. And if you really take that and really explore that to a deep level, you'll just find, actually, there's nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> there's nothing there in the end. And that's a kind of, in some ways, it's a frightening concept for people. But on the other hand, it's what people are, are looking for. And every every issue, every problem that anyone has is coming from that sense of being separate. 
And ultimately, you know, through whatever means, people are looking for coming home to that realization that really there's nothing there. There never was anything there. And it's not something that, you know, you can put into words. It's, it's beyond words. But at the same time, I think people do have experiences of it. Um, often, you know, there'll be that sort of sense that stillness that comes in sometimes for people, or sometimes people may find it through some activity. And sometimes people have glimpses of it as well through um, different spiritual practices. Sometimes people can go into, uh, you know, a a satori or a temporary experience of, you know, the realization or the seeing that there's no one there, but then they, you know, they'll often come back into it. And that can be a difficult thing for people because often when they do come back, nothing else will do. There's nothing else that will satisfy them. And they'll be, you know, they'll often then become very full on spiritual, spiritual seekers at that point. That's a great explanation. Thank mm-hmm. you. I wanted to go back to some things that you alluded to earlier and that intrigue me, if you can explain more about when you were channeling, you know, this new interpretations and you had mentioned kind of bringing in feminine and in some kind of negotiations that were happening. And I'm just kind of wondering like who or what you're channeling and what was being negotiated there. With the channeling, you could say that there's some linkage linked to the system. So some lineage on some level, it was also just a kind of knowing, but in terms of the negotiations, what I would perceive sometimes, and you know, this is all still part of that illusion on some level, but what I could perceive sometimes was you could call rabbinical spirits in the system who were sort of, you know, negotiating, can we, can it be done this way? Can, is it okay to do it this way? You know, there's a lot of like, going on and then suddenly something cleared and then I could you know then the book began to flow more easily does that help or yeah I was still fascinated so do you feel that perhaps you know your draw to this system or even to um, Jewish mysticism is connected to past lives that you've had or or something in your own ancestry or uh yeah probably um you know, I wasn't born into a Jewish family myself, but I was completely fascinated by Judaism, but particularly the kind of philosophy around it. I used to read Jewish newspapers when I was, I suppose, around somewhere between the ages of 17 to about 21. I was very attracted to Jewish women for some reason as well, as well which was an interesting curiosity as part of this. But it was it was the philosophical side of it. I knew I always knew there was something within that, in that within that religion that that held some something, which I might be working with in some way or other. And interesting as well, when, when I was a child, I used to draw the star, which is the star which we see at the center of the heart chakra in Hindu. It's the star of David on the Israeli flag, but it comes up in many systems, Islam. You see this star in temples in Japan. You'll see the the star. We call it the star of creation in this system. So I used to draw that, and then I draw other kind of geometrical shapes around it, very much like Metatron's cube. 
And in fact, in my art, we call it art O-level, sort of like an art exam I did at school. That's what I presented. That's That was all I was interested in drawing. And that's what I presented, something that looked a bit like Metatron's cube, even though I hadn't even heard of that at that time. So yes, there's certainly some sort of connection there on on um, some level. And you could maybe say it was like a, a past life thing too. What about, um, you know, I haven't, I still need to research more about Frank Alper because it seems like his book sounds interesting. I haven't read any of his yeah, books, yeah. but um, yeah, what are your thoughts about, I mean, or do you think that you could have come from Atlantis or that whole idea about the Atlantis times? What are your well, thoughts on that? Well, Frank, Katharina Alper, Frank's wife, when she met me, um, she felt that I had a certain kind of blue light, which represented that I was some aspect of Adamus soul, which is was Frank's name for his soul. You know, that's one way of looking at things. And, you know, we could go back into Atlantean ways of talking, you know, talking about Atlantis and that type of thing. I mean, you know, on, from the non-duality perspective, all of that stuff is meaningless. But it's, you know, it's an interesting thing to play with in the way that we work with it, this. And certainly, you know, sort of images or which you could call past lives come up in that way. But just to talk talk a little bit about Frank, you know, he's a really interesting guy who wrote a trilogy of books about Atlantis. But he was also really big on crystals. And he used to do a lot of work with crystals, which he brought from Atlantis. He said that all of this came from Atlantis. Also, this system as well, he said, was used in Atlantean times. And he also talked about ray children as well. So children having some of the new children coming in. So he probably would have been talking about this maybe in the 1980s, about ray children coming in. And he, interestingly enough, he used to channel a being called Creon and a man called Lee Carroll went and had a session. Probably many of your listeners heard about Lee. He went to a session with Frank and I know that he credited to uh, Katharina once that, you know, being connected with Creon and then writing about indigo children, which is, you know, like really important description, which has become very universal for describing certain type of new soul that's coming into this planet. So, you know, Frank, you know, was a pioneer in many ways. And as I said, you know, Katharina felt his work was before its time. He also brought through a system called Atlantean paddles, which are healing instruments, uh, which he said were used in Atlantean times. And that's something that that I've now been teaching as well. You know, I know this is a radio show. I can, I can show, I can show you because I was talking about it today to someone. So I've got some here. Oh, but, cool. Yeah. I was yeah, really yeah, curious when you, I was imagining, trying to imagine it. Yeah. yeah so, so maybe you can describe to your listeners. So, so that's an Atlantean paddle and they're healing instruments, which have different colors, which you can wave around the body and they have a very cosmic effect. When I, first picked them up, I immediately knew how to use them. And we're calling them, one of the names we're calling them, and now it's been suggested that we call them as cosmic, or call this this system a cosmic shamanism, because there's a very shamanic quality to this as well. And, 
you'll find when you start to use them that often they again spontaneously take over and you find they might sort of shake like a shaman's rattle or they'll be clearing energies and you'll go into the body. There's one for the for clearing throat chakra issues. This is a blue one here. So you'd move that. Give me that one, he says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are those are really yeah. amazing. Do you guys make those? Well, initially I was given the last set of them because Frank Frank taught a course he taught a course which was quite popular in um I think it was in Germany with them. And then he taught another course, but this is going back some time. And there wasn't weren't so many takers for that one. So again, Katharina felt that, you know time wasn't quite right and then she's then she really you know encouraged me to start maybe thinking about bringing them back and i have actually taught several groups the atlantic paddles but i've been restricted because we've only had so many and we kind of run out now and i've been looking all over the world for factories that can make them but they're really difficult to make and the factory that made them actually was in Germany, where they were there really thorough <laughs> and did it really properly. We had another factory in Italy, and they're lovely people, but the paddles they made didn't quite work out. They 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 weren't um, strong enough. And then I contacted some people in Taiwan, but it was really expensive with the importing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I found somewhere in Cornwall in England. And then finally, I found another place actually in the north of England who made me some samples and there's a few tweaks we need but if they can make them then we might we might be able to go with it and if we can I'm going to invest in quite a few so that I can start training people in this but at the moment there's only you know you know a handful of people who are using this so for our listeners who can't see it, it's there's like a wooden handle and then it there's the first one he held up looked like the star of creation. Uh, it's got like metal. So they're like copper. geometric. Yeah, it looks like copper, what, yeah. Yeah, uh, copper and mm-hmm. then is that glass or is that It's possibly? a it's, it's a clear. special type of material that they use in street lamps. Mm. Yeah. Um and sometimes in photography but a thicker version of it. And so the first one was sort of uh, translucent and clear. And then the second one he showed for the throat chakra was this beautiful bluish color. And so there's different shapes and different colors. Yeah. This is the rose one, which is, this is bringing in new energies, Aquarian energies. Mm. So, and I found that this one really helps people connect to the um, divine feminine. And Again, you know, not something I looked to do, but I found that I've um, attracted some people um, over time for sessions with this who have this divine feminine energy but haven't quite connected to it. So we used this. I had a Atlantean paddle healing session, and then later on, you know, a year or so later, they've contacted me and they told me they're doing goddess workshops and sacred woman workshops. So, so it's a, it's amazing, amazing tool. Yeah, they're beautiful. Wow. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that that's amazing. Yeah, I, I forgot that I had read about Frank and the Atlantean books. I really want to get those now and, and read them because that really has been an interesting topic for me recently. I'm not sure why, but 
So at the, so the way we do, we've been doing it at the moment is people, first of all, study the soul plan, then they do the soul transformation therapy, which is a therapy system. And then we've linked the Atlantean paddles to a kind of level two soul transformation therapy. So we'll use the, the symbols and the Hebrew letters on um, special cards, which look like that. And those cards will tell us what the issue is with the clients. And then we can use the Atlantic paddles to do the healing part. Cool. I love how you continue to evolve you know, and bring through new methods. And that was going to be my last question is because it seems like, and it might just, it might be just part of this information age, but it seems like there are a lot more new, when I say new, let's say in the last hundred years or so, um, healing and spiritual modalities kind of coming forth, or maybe, you know, interpretations or modernizations, as you might have said about your, your um, contribution. Do you think that these kind of unprecedented times that we're in, that this is all sort of part of spirit's plan? Yeah, it seems to be the way a lot of old information, esoteric information is coming available now to people. And on some levels, it's great because, you know, we can access all of this now. Um, the disadvantage, of course, is information overload. Things are getting diluted as a result. Overall, though, I think it's great, you know, and I think that's one of the more positive things about the internet, etc. Well, thanks so much, Blue, for taking the time out of your day. We know you're a really busy guy, and uh, we really appreciate that you came on to talk with us today. It's a pleasure. It's really nice to meet you, Tim. Maybe uh, tell people where they can find you and your information. Oh, okay. So our college is um, www.healingcollege.co.uk. So that's the college, healingcollege.co.uk. And the email, our email is info at holistichealingcollege.com. So that's info at holistichealingcollege.com. And we run, well, we run the Soul Plan courses and we're getting more people from the States now you know, since we've been running it on Zoom. And um, even the spiritual counseling diploma that I run, the longer diploma, we've got people doing that now um, from all over the world. But um, yeah, certainly if people feel drawn to this work, you know, do get, do get in touch. And we've got teachers who can do it at a US-friendly time. So I've trained a number of soul plan teachers now. They can do it at US-friendly times if anyone's drawn to this. And it's very much one of those things that, you know, I like people to be drawn to it as well, you know, so we don't send out, you know, if you do contact us, you won't be getting lots of marketing emails sent back. Where In fact, we're, people complain we're, we're pretty useless at that. Uh, but that's partly because we like people to come to us organically. Yeah, I can really attest that it's amazing training. And even though I really wanted to have the training specifically with Blue, so I didn't mind waking up early <laughs> to do that. And it was really, really worth it. And Zoom, the way that it's set up really wasn't a problem at all. So yeah, if you feel drawn, I really highly recommend it. Thanks so much, Blue. Thank you, Tiana. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I want to say thank you very much to Blue Marsden for taking the time to share his gifts and knowledge with us. If you want to learn more about him and his offerings, please visit his website, healingcollege.co.uk. And you can email him at 
info at holistichealingcollege.com. You can also find his book on Amazon. It's called Soul Plan, Reconnect with Your True Life Purpose. I'd also like to take this time to thank Tiana Roser for all the work she does to keep this podcast interesting, and Casey Henson for providing the music. If you'd like to learn more about us or find past episodes, please visit beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating for us. This will help other people find us. Take care. Take care.